0: Jody back with us playing piano? Ah, Really, really enjoyed it. And Casey, I thank you for your word about Samuel. That goes right along with the message today. That's probably why you said that. Yeah, it's a better to obey than give sacrifice. Amen. Um, we have a friend uh, came just last week, uh, Smitty, who, who is in the back. Uh, he came first time last week. He asked for a special prayer this morning. I told him we would for his... Um, sister's fiance passed away just a few days ago and so let's go ahead and bow for for the family shall we father god uh we just pray for uh Smitty's, um sister as she's in her grief lord and all those are grieving in, the, in her family as her fiance passed away lord and her hopes are dashed lord as far as her you know marriage and god just comfort her let your holy spirit come and comfort her and and lift her up and help her to put her eyes, Lord, upon Jesus. Just let her know your love, Father. And We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this morning, uh, I'm going to be uh, giving a message from uh, John 17. So if you want to prepare before I get there, you may. I'm going to give a little introduction. There is a... Let me introduce it by a couple questions. First question is this. Are you living up to be the believer that Jesus wants you to be? Are you being the disciple that he desires for you? That's a question for all of us, isn't it, that call ourselves Christians? And here's another question to consider is this. Would you be willing to... To pay the ultimate price for your faith. Uh, Karen Watson was a Southern Baptist missionary who did just that. She paid the ultimate price for her faith. She was a missionary to Iraq. And before she left to Iraq in 2003, she wrote a letter to her pastors that She sealed. Tragically, a year, almost a year to the day after she left, she left March 7, 2003, March of 2004, she was killed. She was killed along with four other missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries from California. And I want to read to you some of the words in this letter that she wrote. She said, Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger." You should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are, there are no regrets. I tried to share with you my heart uh, as much as possible my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to Him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory, my reward, His glory my reward. See, Karen was determined to be the believer Christ wanted her to be. She was determined to follow the call that God had given her. She was determined to be authentic about her faith and she was determined to pay whatever price necessary or was needed to get out the gospel of God's love in sending Jesus to us. She says to obey was her objective. Now, her work on earth is done. In the the scripture we're about to read, Jesus' work on earth was done up until the point of the cross. This is going to be his prayer right before he goes to the cross. Okay, It's often called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is preparing for the cross. He's preparing in a prayer to the Father, for his disciples. This is part of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You're familiar with that. This is his last recorded prayer, and it's his longest recorded prayer. And he's praying for, to the Father, for his believers, his followers on earth, and the work that will be continued through him. So let's go ahead and read now. John chapter 17. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 19 and if you're able and willing, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. John 17, beginning with verse 6. It says this, Jesus praying to the Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and, I have, and they have obeyed your word. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I save these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Amen. You may be seated. May God's word be blessed. We're going to see, in this prayer of Jesus, we're going to see his vision for believers. By the way, when Jesus is praying for believers here, he's praying for believers throughout the ages, not just for the disciples at that time. We're going to see his concern for his believers, his body on earth, which includes you and me. This is Jesus praying 2,000 years ago for you and me, praying for all who have put their faith in him. So we're going to look at two responsibilities this morning that go along with what Jesus is praying for. And he's praying that we would be the believer Christ calls us to be. That's our theme this morning. Be the believer Christ calls you to be. Okay. Jesus spent three years training the disciples, getting them to be believers. So when he went to go be with the Father, when he went to heaven, they would would carry on. And so Jesus prayed for them, his desire for them, his his vision for them. What is Jesus' vision for you? What is his desire for you? Two responsibilities this morning. The first is this. To be the believer Christ calls you to be is to be the believer who receives his word. Isn't that quite a bit of what he was just praying for? Look at this, verse 6. I have revealed you to them, Jesus praying to the Father, and those that you have given me out of the world, they were yours and you gave them to me. Jesus is identifying here who true believers are, those who the Father has given him and who belong to him. And notice the rest of that verse. They are those who have obeyed your word. See, Jesus is identifying, just like Casey said a little bit earlier, identifying who true believers are. Listen to these words. John chapter 8, verse 31. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, you truly are my disciples. If we obey his word. See, they have obeyed your word. Karen, in in, in, in that letter that she sent, she also wrote these words. I was called... Not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. See, that was the main thing for Karen. To obey, to obey, as Casey said earlier, is better than sacrifice. That's what the key is, obeying his word. And notice how important Jesus' word is and God's word is in this prayer. He's praying, and he's using the word to identify true believers, and he's using the word to measure True believers, who true believers are? Those who have accepted the word, those who have obeyed your word. I said a moment ago that Jesus said, if you continue in my word. See, the the word of Jesus is the word of God because Christ is God in flesh. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But he said this, continue. Those who continue, when he's talking about continuing in his word, he means continue to accept and continue to obey it. All right? And to do what? To know who he is. To know who he is. Look at verse 8. For they know, they knew for certain that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. You see, Jesus, as I said, is God in flesh. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good moral teacher. He wasn't just a, sup, a supreme religious leader he had come from god and he was the only he's the only begotten son of god sent into the world to save those who would put their faith in him jesus god in flesh he said this john 14:9 he who has seen me has seen the father why did he say that he's saying i am god in flesh he listen to this prayer part in verse 5 of the prayer we just read we didn't read this part he says verse 5 as he's preparing to die on the cross and rise again. He says, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was made. Jesus has eternally shared the glory of the Father along with the glory of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God in flesh. And he says, and he says in verse 10, as he says in verse 10, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Jesus, they're referring to his equality with the Father, his equality in power and authority. Jesus is God in flesh. We're to receive his word and receive his word by faith and then obey the word that you receive. You know, accepting God's word, this is something, be hard, this is going to be kind of hard for you to believe, but Billy Graham at one time struggled with believing God's word. Uh, early in his career as an evangelist, Billy Graham uh, had a partner named Charles Templeton, who was also an evangelist. They worked together, and Charles Templeton began to have doubts about the word of God, and, he's, and, he, and he discussed this with Billy. And Billy Graham, started, remember this is early in his career, was entertaining doubts about God's word. He was kind of, there was a conflict going on in his mind. Um, and, and, and he knew, you know, that when he preached the word, that people, it, it had a power upon people, that it, people were convicted by what he said, that there was, a, uh, there was a power that was impossible to explain outside the notion that this was God's word. But still, Templeton raised some questions that, that Billy could not answer so this one time, they went to a student conference in the, hill, in the mountains of San Bernardino. And they were both to be speakers there. And they debated. When they met together at the San Bernardino Retreat Center, they debated uh, privately about the validity of God's word. And so uh, Billy Graham was in turmoil. And, and he went out for a walk one night he went out for a walk around the pine forest of that retreat center. And he he went off about 50 yards, trudged about 50 yards off the trail, and he sat down on a big rock. And he put his Bible, and he laid it down on a rock before him. I mean, on, on, a, on a tree stump before him. And he had to make a decision. Either this was God's word, or it was just words about God. Either it was truly God. From God or just words about God, he had to make a decision, and he had to make it final. So he prayed. He struggled in his heart, and he prayed to God. He said, "Oh God, I cannot prove certain things." He said, "I cannot answer some of the questions Chuck is raising, and some and the, some of the other people are raising." But I accept this book by faith as the Word of God. And with that, with that decision. His ministry was entirely transformed. What happened next was nothing less than miraculous. That's when Jesus held a campaign in Los Angeles and a a crusade and it shook the city. It's written like like it's never been shaken shaken since the first and second great awakenings in America. Charles Randolph Hearst, the publisher of uh, his newspaper, put it on the front page every single day and People were coming to the Lord, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. Amen? Billy Graham became one of the greatest evangelists of all time. But the turning point for him is when he decided to accept the Bible as God's word without any question. He was convicted. He was convinced. We should always pray. You and I should always pray or be in the spirit of prayer. Whenever we receive God's word, whether you hear it, whether you read it, pray that he opens your eyes of understanding. Pray that the Holy Spirit will convince you who Jesus is and reveal to you his words that will speak to your heart. The true believer, be the believer Christ calls you to be by receiving, receiving his word. Not only by receiving his word, To know who he is, but to receiving his word, to know who you are, who you and I are. So who are we? (laughs) Let's take a look. Verse 14. He says, I gave them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world. Any more than I am not of the world. You see, if you're a believer in Christ, you belong to him, and if you belong to Jesus, you're not of this world any more than Jesus was of this world. If you made a decision to stand with Jesus, if you've answered that call to stand with him, stand on his word, hold his word, that's his vision for you. That's his vision for you. You know, you're going to have, you're going to be tempted. The world will tempt you to compromise, to compromise your, your faith. But, but, but if you're standing on the word, you're not, you're not going to be going along, going, getting along by going along. Amen? You're going to take a stand. You're going to take a stand. It's not always going to be easy. We learned about that in Sunday school this morning. Stand upon his word. You know? Uh, who are we? We're, we're not of this world. You know, the thing is this. The thing is this. Uh, the argument is made. You know the Bible's old; it's ancient. I mean, it's two thousand years ago. Things have changed. I mean, we've got technology now they couldn't even think of back then. We've got we've got electronics. We've got nuclear power. It's a whole different world. Is it really? Is it really? Yes, it's true. It's true. Things have changed. Scientifically, we know things we didn't know back then. We have electronics. We have technology. But what hasn't changed is the nature of man. See, We're sinners now. We were sinners then. We're sinners now. There's two types of people in the world. You're either a saved sinner or a lost sinner, but we're all sinners. Amen? We're all sinners. What does the Bible say? Romans three twenty three. All have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God—that's who we are. We belong to Christ, but we're sinners. Hmm? Apostle Paul, Apostle John knew about this. Apostle John wrote about it in 1 John chapter two, in verse First John chapter two. He talked about this as, you know, the sin. The sin, all the sins of the world, all the sins of mankind can be narrowed down to three sources. And he writes about this in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. John says this. He says this. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world, because if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For they... For all that is in the world... Now, here comes your three sources of sin. Here, you ready? The lust of the flesh... The lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life—all of our sin is within. It comes from within those three uh, sources. By the way, those are the three sources that Adam and Eve were faced with. You remember that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, Eve first, and Adam, and uh, God had told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit, and He told them, and Satan. Tempted, he tempted them to do just what God told them not to do. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. We're going to see these three sources of sin at work. Verse 6, you know, Satan had, Satan had told her. He had already lied to, to, to Eve, and he said, Yeah, that's not true what God told you. You're not going to die. You know, you're going to become just like God. You eat that fruit, you're going to have the wisdom just like God. You're going to understand all things. Listen to this, verse 6, Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw the fruit... Remember, she'd already been tempted by Satan. And it was pleasing to the eye. Ah, lust of the eye. She saw the fruit. And it was good for food. Oh, lust of the flesh. She saw the fruit. And she says, and it says, she saw. It, it, it was, when she saw, it, she said, for uh, she said this. That it was desirable for gaining wisdom. What did Satan just tell her? If you eat of that fruit, you're going to gain wisdom and be just like God. What is that? Boastful pride of life. Hmm? The three sources of all sin. John tells us about it. He tells us about it. See, the world, he continues in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away and all of its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. He says, Don't let the things of the world consume you where you're selling your soul. And I'm, I'm interpreting what he says selling your soul to the devil for fleeting passions that pass away. Stand on the eternal word, stand on, the, stand on it with obedience. We're all sinners, but only by the grace of God through faith in Christ can we be saved. And cleanse from our sin. Jesus prayed this. Jesus prayed this in verse 17. I'm back now in John, in John 17. He prayed because he knew Satan was going to oppose them. He knew that Satan was going to try to attack them. He knew that Satan was going to lie to him because he's the father of lies. And it says this in verse 15: Jesus prayers: My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And he says this in verse 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, protect them by your truth. Protect them by your spirit. Protect them by your truth. So the first responsibility in being the believer, Christ wants you to be, is to receive his word. To receive his word. Second. Second responsibility. For the believer, the believer, To be the believer Christ wants you to be is to glorify the believer who glorifies Christ. Glorify Jesus Christ. What does it say in verse 10? Glory has come to me through them. New American Standard, I have been glorified in them. What does it mean to glorify Jesus? What does it mean to bring him glory? It It means to reveal his character, to show who he is, And to honor him, to give him honor, to glorify him. You see, when you receive Christ, when you become a believer, you open your heart and your life open to Jesus Christ. He comes in to live through you. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you're you're, you're glorifying Jesus with your life. to To live, to let his life be known in you. Live to let his love be known in you. Live to let his life and his love be an influence to people around you. Glorify Jesus Christ. With what? With his joy. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this. He says, I am coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world that they may have the full measure of my what? joy within them. We're to glorify Jesus Christ with his joy. I want you to listen to the words of Karen. Continuing on with her letter to her pastors. She said this. Karen said these words. She said this. She said, it is my joy there's no greater joy than serving Jesus. There's no greater joy than serving Jesus. She was serving the one who had loved her enough to lay his life down for her. She was experiencing this joy that Jesus is talking about when he says I, I, that my joy might be in them. You see, Jesus' joy is central teaching in his, in his work and in his life. It's something he wants us to carry with us to influence the world around us. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth." What did He mean by that? You see, salt salt uh, uh, gives seasoning to food. It, it, it influences food. My wife can tell you how much I love <laughs> how much I love salt. You know, it, it influences food just like we're to influence the people around us. How do we do that? How do we do that? Salt gives it a flavor. Gives it a, gives it an enhanced flavor. We're to give an enhanced flavor to the lives of people around us by being what? Be an encourager. Be an uplifter. Do what it says in the book of Colossians. Let your, your speech be seasoned with salt. Let, let, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. In what you say, let it be edifying. Let it be encouraging. Be, share the love. Share the joy. Be the salt. You see, the joy that we have is not a joy from this world. What does Jesus say in verse 15? Jesus said it this way. Verse 15. He says this. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from, from, the, from the enemy, from the evil one, that my joy, and then he says it in verse 18, he says, oh, here's the thing about salt. Salt does not work in isolation. Salt only works in penetration. What did Jesus say? He said, they're not of the world, as I'm not of the world. But if you look at verse, the verses here, he says, I am not sending them out of the world. What does he say? I'm just like you've sent me into the world, verse 18. I'm sending them Into the world, to do what? To mix, okay? Salt. If you keep it to yourself, it doesn't do any good. You got to mix, right? You got to mix with the world. You got to share His joy. You got to share His life and share His love. Being the believer, Christ calls you to be. You know, there is a story by about Steph Curry. Any San Francisco Warrior fans here? No, 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 no basketball okay Steph Curry okay we got one right over thank you Mary <laughs> my friend Mary who came today Steph Curry is uh, it, it, for those that don't know he's one of the greatest basketball players uh, in the game today remember the San Francisco Warriors and Steph Curry his uh, there was a story about him in GQ magazine uh, okay I don't know I don't I don't really I don't read GQ but I heard about this <laughs> and and uh, it's a story, they interviewed his mother. His mother is a very strong Christian. And they interviewed her about her son, who is also a very strong Christian, Steph Curry. And she said this. You know, the title of the story is this. The Revenge of Steph Curry, the Happy Warrior. Okay, so that, uh, that tells you a little bit what the article's about. The Happy Warrior. Here's the thing. His mother says in the NBA... You know, a lot of people want you to play with a chip on your shoulder. That's what motivates them. They need to have respect. They need to be a little bit mean and a little bit nasty. And she said uh, uh, they need to feel respect. Steph has always been fueled, however, only by the love of the game. He doesn't need to be angry. A lot of people expect him and even need him to have a hard edge. To be more of a nasty person, she says. But the article goes on to say, to, to tell us how, what motivates Steph. As a Christian. You know, here's the thing: if you ever see him, you ever see him playing, you know, you ever see him playing, he's always gonna smile on his face. Even no matter people around him, angry pushing him, whatever, he's always smiling. There's a, there's a joy in his heart. You know, if you got joy in your heart, it breaks out in your face. Did you know that? <laughs> the Bible says it this way. If the joy in your heart it produces a cheerful countenance, yeah, showing that joy, showing that joy, being the believer Christ wants you to be by showing his joy, showing the joy of the Lord, showing uh, being that believer, not only showing his joy, but showing his unity, his oneness. Look at verse 11. He says, Father, protect them by the power of your name the name that you gave me that they may be one even as we are one see jesus is praying for the oneness of believers this is a spiritual oneness this is a we're the universal body of christ oneness is something we should work toward as believers the oneness of being uh, in the body, you know, George Bush gave an address on 9-11 uh, and he, this is not the first time he's done that a special address on the anniversary of 9-11 and, and in one of these addresses that he gave, he spoke about the unity uh, that are in our country that the unity is the essence of democracy unity is something we should strive for And he talked about the the challenges we've had. I want to read it to you. He says this. We have a duty, George W. Bush speaking, to find a common purpose as a nation. In the days after 9-11, the response came like a single hand on a single heart. Members of Congress on both sides gathered on the steps of the Capitol and sang God bless America. You remember that? Neighbors reached out to neighbors of all backgrounds and beliefs. And he talked about the challenges that we've had since then and the debates that, the debates that we've had since then. And he said, but he says, but America has never been identified or defined by our disagreements. Whatever challenges we face today and in the future, we must never lose faith in our ability to meet together. We must never lo- allow our differences to harden into divisions. Isn't that true for the church? We must never let our differences harden into divisions. Be one. Remember Jesus' prayer. My prayer, Father, is that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus praying for the oneness of his body, what we're to work for, work toward. Unity. Unity. You know, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to focus, you know, to to, to, um, to focus on and to, uh, you know, our differences. But when that happens, what we have to do is change our point of view. Don't focus on your differences. Don't dwell on your differences. Dwell on the Lord. Amen? Dwell on the Lord. We have a common purpose. We have a common Lord. We should be of one mind. And that one mind is to make the most important thing to humbly obey him. humbly obey our Lord Jesus and to do what it says in Ephesians chapter four when it says strive, keep make every effort to maintain a spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Unity. That's what Christ is praying for. That's what the, the believer he wants us and he wants you to be. Be the believer Christ calls you to be. The believer who receives his word, just like Billy Graham, when he prayed in that pine forest in San Bernardino, and he, he cried out to God, and he confessed to God, and he, and he put his faith in the Bible as the word of God. And the, the, the word he received was the truth to protect him and light to direct him. What does it say, Psalm 119, 105? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path, and be that believer who receives the word. Be that believer who glorifies Christ, who glorifies Christ with the joy of the Lord. When you got joy in the Lord, it breaks out in your face. You know, just like Steph Curry. You know, he pray, he played on the basketball court with the joy of the Lord. Let let people know. Let people know the that you're sold out. You're sold out for Jesus. You have the joy of a soul that's sold out for Jesus, and you have the, the oneness of a soul that's united with Jesus, and united with other believers. We're to be one. We're to be one in Christ. Karen finished this letter to her pastors, and she did it in a way that shows that she only wanted to glorify Jesus with her life. She says this. She talks about her memorial service. That might happen if, in fact, she were to die on the mission field. She said, in regard to any service, keep it simple and preach the gospel. First and foremost, preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever-eternal gospel. She was dedicated to being the Christian Christ called her to be. She said, to to get out his life saving, life changing for every eternal word, the gospel. To live that life. She lived that life that glorified Christ, and that's the life Christ wants us to live. That's our challenge today. Will you be that believer? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word that instructs us, instructs us to be identify ourselves as true believers by receiving your word and by glorifying you with our lives. Help us all, Lord, to be that, to be just that for you, Lord. Jesus, shine in our lives. Let your love, let your life shine in us that we can show the word, who you are. Thank you, Lord.